0: Okay, no surprises here. We're going to James, chapter number 5. And would you believe verse 16? You've seen this one a lot, haven't you? You're saying, well, pastor, it's time to land the plane. You've been circling the airport for a long time. Well, we're going to land the plane today, okay? Because some of the questions that uh, such verses like Verse 16 brings up, and again later, verse number 20. There's some puzzling things in there, and and we want to be sure we know what is it saying. So I purposely took my time to establish a foundation for us that I think will help explain the passage, at least get us closer to what uh, I believe James was expressing to us here. So, we're going into verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Heavenly Father, again, your word is before us and we are, we are so needing of understanding so we might be able to do what you would have us to do. To be faithful to this word that you've given to us. We, we thank you for it. We thank you for its power. How it's changed us already. And it's still at work in our lives now. And we are so, so grateful to have it in our hands. So help us, Lord. Because we need it more than just that. We need it in our hearts. And as we study this verse, we've been working on it for some time. Help us to, to see what you would want us to know. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher today. And may the words be effective in our lives and accomplish what you sent them out to do. Thank you for being with us and for the blessings of your mercy, your grace, your love, and your word. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I told you a couple weeks ago there were three Things I wanted to address right here in this part of the verse. And that had to do with sin. Because sin is in the verse. Confess your sins to one another. And we've talked about that. We've talked about the cure last week. It was a beautiful time to remember the Lord's death on our behalf with our communion service. So we dealt with that too. Because that had very much to do with that phrase healed. Now we're going to apply it today. We're going to put it all together. Alright? We're going to give it a good shot anyway. Um, because there are certain things here that are puzzling and yet I think that if we take it carefully, we should be able to understand what we're doing here. You see, the the pastor just said we're going to apply the text and you're going to say but haven't we been doing that all along? Uh, yes. It, yes, we have. But this is the application ...that James had for his audience. We're going to start with that... ...and understand that... ...so we can apply it to ourselves as well. Um, He is taking aim at the church. I want you to understand... uh, ...that we set this up... ...purposely this way. He is talking to the church. Alright? To the believers... ...in this church. Things that are essential for them... ...and mark it very carefully... He is talking to them in the context of trials. Didn't he start his book that way? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face what? Various trials. Um, That is his audience. And we have to keep that in mind. Because they're not having an easy life. Especially here in chapter 5. I set up the scenario for you already. They were already having difficult times. Is it easy to live like a Christian in difficult times? No. That's a big test of our faith. And that's what we're looking at here, is what is living faith. They have trials. I'm going to underscore it, just so you understand it, as we step into this passage. They have trials. The first six verses of chapter 5 highlights that. The simplest way to say it is, This Christian man was being cheated by his employer. He had worked for him. His employer did not pay him. Matter of fact, it gets worse than that. By the end of verse number 6, his employer is persecuting him because he is a Christian. The worker is a Christian. And apparently his boss is not. And that's a very uncomfortable work environment, isn't it? But that's what he's experienced. That's who he's addressing here is somebody who has gone through some very, very hard days and he's not getting paid. And you, all of us would understand that much. And then be persecuted on top of it because of his faith. So James says, well, I've got, I've got some responses for you here. Verse 7 through 9. And they could have asked our church too because we know the answer. Be patient. And then, Be patient. Then strengthen your heart. And then don't complain. Don't grumble. Yes, James told him, that is your response. That's what you're supposed to do. These are commands. Why do they have to be commands? Because I suggest to you, they're not natural for us. They're not the things that we normally do with our first response. Is that true? This is not our desire, more times than not. Matter of fact, on top of that, it's not easy to maintain it. I mean, how long does patience last? That's the funny thing about it. His patience is suggesting long, but we're short on it. We say, we'll be patient for ten minutes, but that's about it. It's not easy to maintain. The fact is, we need the reminders. And that's what James has done for his... Readers here, he says, this is a very important thing for you to know. This is a matter of faith. Patience is a matter of faith. Strengthening your heart is a matter of faith. Not complaining is a matter of faith. This is what faith looks like in the midst of that trial. All right? Now, maybe after you've studied this with me for this long already, you might say, you know, I I must not have much faith. If this is indicative of faith, I still struggle with these commands. I don't think of them often enough. I don't think of them soon enough. And it doesn't stop my initial reactions. Let, let me ask you this. Is, is, is it that you're evaluating your faith in yourself or your faith in the Lord? So often, when we see the commands, we measure it according to our ability to keep them, right? And when we can't, we start to look negatively upon ourselves and we say, Well, this isn't a very good test of my faith now, is it? The question I bring up again who is it that you have faith in? Yourself or in the Lord? Because guess where patience comes from? It's His. Matter of fact, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, it belongs to Him. And I could go through all kinds of things with this, but it's a matter of dependence upon Him that we find the grace and the resources to live the life of faith. We're not going to muster it up in our own strength. We don't follow three things or four things or five things and now we've got faith. We trust Him. He provides for us. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control. That's His to give to you. It's not yours. So that's what this picture is all about. It's about faith in Him, not faith in you. Or faith in me. So, sometimes we look at this and say, you know, I don't know if I measure up very well. Honestly, none of us measure up. (laughs) The Lord measures up to these things. He's the only one who can handle these things. A.W. Tozer wrote, True faith rests upon the character of God and asks no further proof than the moral perfections of the one who cannot lie. I thought, hmm, that's a good reminder. What is this faith we're about? Resting upon the character of God. Notice how James kept turning our attention to that all the way through this passage. He said it in verse number 4 at the very end. When this man is crying out because he's not being paid, he says, And it has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. That's the Lord of armies. Alright? He heard. Do you believe that? That's his character. He said in verse number 7, Therefore be patient, brethren. Why? Well, the Lord is coming, isn't he? That's a promise. Do you believe that? Yes. In verse number 8, he said, Be patient and strengthen your hearts. What's his reason for that again? The Lord is coming. He had to tell us that twice. (laughs) We forgot the last one. Okay. Yes. Keep it going. He's still coming. In verse number 9, he says, don't co- don't complain. Don't, you know, why? Well, you have a judge and the judge is standing right at the door. Again, he brings us back to the Lord's character in this. We count those who are blessed who endure, verse 11 says. Why? He goes on to say, you have heard of the endurance of Job. You have the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is and I underline this on purpose full of compassion and is merciful that's his character do you trust it that's not going to diminish in your problems is it is he going to start waning a little bit on the mercy is he going to Cut back on the compassion a bit. Maybe the budget can't allow for that much compassion this year. The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is merciful. And it doesn't matter the situation you're in. Because His character does not change. That's why I prefer to have faith in Him than in me. I'm weak. I fail. I can't maintain all this. I struggle with it. I'm under the burdens of this and under the burdens of that. And you are too. The Lord is faithful. Never changes. Those are good things. That's what James keeps pointing us back to. Again, I'll read it to you. True faith rests upon the character of God. That's the first part of that quote. Listen very carefully to this. As James is writing in verse number 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. To whom do you pray? Uh Aha. That's the faithful God. Right? Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He says in verse 14. He must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray. To whom? To the same God, right? Right? Yes. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith. Faith in whom? The Lord. That's a multiple choice question I can make. Do you have prayer in the guy, or faith in the guy who's praying for you? Do you have faith in the prayer? Or do you have faith in the one to whom you're praying? It's a prayer of faith. Alright? And the one who answers prayer is the one who restores the sick. Who is that? Who is the one who answers prayer? The Lord does. This is an easy quiz, isn't it? All the answers are the same. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiving him. Who forgives sins? Oh, you're starting to see it? Everything keeps coming right back to him. That's what faith is. It comes right back to him, over and over. This is living faith, not trusting in myself. Not trusting in others, though we're called to trust. Understand the context here. Not trusting in rituals, not trusting in programs or procedures, not trusting in oils, not trusting in sermons or prayers, not even trusting those that we have in leadership over us in this way. These things and these people exist for a single purpose. To point you to the one you can trust completely. That's our job. That's what it's all about. Because he alone is completely faithful. He alone is. The Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important that we have that understood in the midst of their context. Because when we go into this next paragraph, we try try to describe these verses. Well, if you try it without that information, you're in trouble. Because our applications become distorted from there. If we separate it from what we just heard. We can get confused easy. We can, we can start um, questioning things. Should I do this? What is this all about? Is, if somebody is sick, is this the way we're supposed to do it? Is there a checklist here I'm supposed to keep? Uh, do we have to press this until it's done? So that it can be deserved of whatever we're looking for? So verse 16 starts it for us today. And it goes all the way through verse 20. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren... If any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That is the application that we've been looking for. Therefore, the way he started verse 16. Therefore. So let's keep this before us. And it's very important that we do this. James is talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. He calls them brethren. Right? In verse number 7, he says, My brethren, therefore be patient, brethren. Verse number 9, he says, Do not complain, brethren. He says in verse 10, uh, Where is it? As an example, brethren, of the suffering and patience. He says in verse number 12, and above all my brethren, in verse number 14, is anyone among you? What is he saying? Church circle. Alright? The brothers and sisters. Is anyone among you? In verse 16, now, you ready? There, confess your sins to who? One another. Who do you think he's talking to? the brothers, the brothers and sisters, the Christians, to one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I'm keeping it in its context on purpose because when you get to verse number 19, my brethren, if any is among you, strays from the truth. And then verse number 20 adds, well, it adds this whole concept. Um, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul. Who's he talking about? A believer. Okay? Hold that because there's lots of questions in our minds. But we have to know we're talking about a believer. We're talking about a brother or sister in Christ. One who's classified as among you. Alright? That's important. Here's what we know. We are capable of sin, right? I think the little kids just told us that this morning in their song. The sins which are many, right? We are capable of sin. Verse 16 mentions that. Confess your sins or faults. Whichever word you have there is okay with me. Because there's two different Greek words and one is intentional and one is on purpose. And unfortunately we're good at both of them. There's unintentional sins, and there are purposeful sins. We do things because we want to. That's both of the concepts of the Greek words peritoma or hamartia. Either one of them is is a sin. The fact is, any time we do not obey a command, we have sinned. Did you realize that? That's kind of frightful, isn't it, suddenly? Because be patient is What? A command. And what if we're not? Oh, we don't want to say it. It's disobedience. Strengthening your heart is a command. If we don't do it, we have sinned. Do not complain. Uh uh Disobeying the Lord's instructions... So, if we are impatient, impatient, a heart not exercised to maturity, and have a complaining spirit, what is that? Sin. So, are we capable of sin? Oh, yes. Yes. Generally, where do we take those attitudes of impatience, immaturity, and complaining spirit? Well, let me ask you this. Do you take it to your boss who's mistreating you? No. Especially if he's not a believer, because guess what he's going to do? He's going to turn up the heat. Because he thinks that's pretty neat. He's got under your skin. Where do we generally take our problems, our complaints, our issues? Who do we give it to most time than not? The people closest to us. Our poor dogs get kicked every day. Is that right? Aren't we like this? Here's the thing. Oh, but it's my brother in Christ. It's my sister in Christ. I could understand this. So I'm going to dump all of my complaints and my impatience and my immaturity in their direction. Not so much to talk about it, but to relieve myself. Guess who gets hurt? Your brother or sister. That's where we generally take our sinful words, our sinful actions, our sinful attitudes. We don't take it to the one who persecutes us because we don't want to stir up more trouble. We take it to the ones closest to us. And in this body of Christ, it's our brothers and sisters. They are the ones who are here to help us in our time of need, right? If someone sins against us, we tend to lash out. And sometimes we tend to be a little more intense on the pain because it's greater than what we received in the first place. So I bring to you another thought. Who is the only one who paid for your sins? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the only one who can heal you? The Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the church all about? Your brothers and sisters in Christ. What are the elders all about? They're the spiritual leaders among you. What is the prayers all about? What is the oils that we mentioned earlier? What's that all about? Those are all tools, you see, in the Lord's hands to help us accomplish our restoration and our correction and our training and our discipline and our maturity so that we heal So that we respond correctly. So that we do what the Lord calls us to do. We have all these people and all these things to prompt us to seek the Lord. To encourage us on that way. And more times than not, when we get into sin, the last person we want to talk about is the Lord. What did Adam do when he sinned? He went and hid... And that's our usual response. This is all contrary to what we usually do. See, we're supposed to trust him. And yet we turn it to painful things. Remember my friend, I, friend, Fred, I introduced you to a couple of weeks ago? My stick figure friend. Let me put him in the picture for a minute. Fred has been mistreated by his employer and is being persecuted for his faith. Fred is called to be patient and trust the Lord. To be patient for the Lord hears. To know that he is coming. Fred is to strengthen his heart. Fred is to trust him and have his resolve in the Lord. And Fred is to stop complaining. But Fred is tired. Fred is weak. Fred is not really mature. Fred is struggling. James 5.14 Is any among you sick? Literally in the Greek it means without strength. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual. He's feeble, he's weak. So he has to call for the elders. Why? Because they're there to help him up. To pray with him and to strengthen him and and administer to him whatever he needs. So Fred is to rally around him those who are here to help him mature in his faith. They join him in prayer. They look to see that whatever his needs are, they're met for the relief of his distress. So they might have to apply some oil to relieve distress. But they are there to lift him up in prayers, to the only one who can resolve Fred's need, and to strengthen him. You see, in verse number 15 it says, the prayer offered in faith will restore, will deliver, will make him whole. The one who has been toiling so much. And that's the other word here in front of you. The one who is sick. You got the picture? It's not so much the physical as the physical part of this. There's a man who has responded immaturely to his problem. And he's weak. The elders are called to pray for him. Because he needs to be restored. Strengthened. He needs to that because he's been toiling. (laughs) He's been toiling over these things for too long. The Lord will raise him up. So here's the symptoms of the problem. Fred has been hurt. Fred has been persecuted. Fred has been immature. Fred has been weak. Fred has been told what to do in patience and strengthening and not complaining. But Fred couldn't do it himself. He couldn't do it. He was toiling in it probably floundering like a fish on a dock. How likely is it that Fred hurts his brothers and sisters in the process? He said, in the middle of verse 15, And if he has committed sins, is there a likelihood he did? Yes. The potential is great, matter of fact, because our first response to being sinned against is to do exactly what everybody else does. When reviled, we revile in return. Right? There's only one who set an example of not doing that. And who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we go with the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth. And poor old Fred, he was hurt. And he turned it on his brothers and sisters. He's committed sins. In light of all this, Fred might have sinned against his brother or sister. Fred is called to address that with them. Therefore, verse 16, you ready? Confess your sins to who? One another. The brother or the sister. He addresses it to them because that's whom he has sinned against. He hurt them. And He's to confess that to them. I was digging through this. And I have a puzzling thought in my mind. And it's because of things I've seen. You know, you're in the ministry for a while. You see things. Groups that get together and they have this great big con- confession convention, I think. I don't know what you want to call it. They all sit around and say, oh, let's talk about our sins. Almost like an alcoholic anonymous thing. Hello, I'm Fred, and I've sinned. All right, and they go through these things, and I've always thought, what is what is the value of that? What is the real value of that? I've always thought that that just felt out of place to me. It felt like something's not right. Something, the, the way I say it is, something smells bad in the refrigerator. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to dig it out until I find it. I thought. Maybe that's not exactly what the Lord meant by confess your sins to one another. So I started some research on this, digging it up. And I go back to 1600s. Is that far enough back? Maybe? Late 1600s, early 1700s. John Gill wrote this. He was the pastor many years before Spurgeon was in the church. And uh, he said... Confess your faults to one another which must be understood of sins committed against one another which should be acknowledged and repentance for them declared in order to mutual forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is necessary at all times and especially on beds of affliction and when death and eternity seem near approaching. Wherefore, now watch what he does here. Wherefore, this makes nothing of auricular confession used by the papists. Now, they're living in the time when the church dominated, the Catholic church dominated. He says, that's not what they do, because they talk about all sins all the time. He says, whereas this is only of such by which men offend one another. That is made to priests, but this is made to the saints, to one another, by the offending party to him that is offended for reconciliation, whereby a good end is answered. Whereas, there is none by the other, very often bad consequences follow. Here's the thing, we have a group session and we're just all confessing sins, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and you say, wow, that's very useful to me, but what if you have an immature brother or sister in that crowd? And they're listening to that, and they don't know how to handle that. Number one, that person has that problem. Oh, that's terrible. Or, maybe they say, well, I don't know what that sin is. And they start to investigate it. And then they get tied up in it too. Would you consider that to be a bad outcome of it? There's a, uh, another thing I'll read to you here. From Martin Bobgan. You ever hear the name? Probably not. He He was he trained as a psychiatrist. He was big in the biblical Christian psychology movements over the years. He's an older man now, much older. Um, he's written a couple of books because he says, I can't do either one of them now because of my study. And very interesting man to talk to. If you call his house, here answer it, and his wife will talk with you too great delightful people I enjoyed talking to him. but he wrote a book several books on counseling and this is why he said and this is very carefully stated when people speak evil of others they actually increase their own negative feeling towards them that justif- just 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 I'm saying that wrong just just justify That fun ...having said bad things. When people focus on how bad things are, they fail to see what is good. Rather than nurturing gratitude, these counselors often nourish ingratitude and a sense of victimization. Rather than nurturing love for God and others, they are at times feeling self-love and pride. Evil speaking of others is not edifying to believers... Therefore, counseling that depends on it is sinful and will fail to nurture spiritual growth. Ouch. This, this is not, let's get together and have a big confession service to cover all our sins. That's not what he's talking about. Because I don't see anywhere in scripture where that's encouraged. Matter of fact, in Ephesians it says this. You were formerly darkness. Verse 8 starts. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He says, verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. It is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. I take that pretty seriously. Don't even speak of those things. See, focusing on sin... Makes us feel comfortable among each other for some reason. But actually, it's a detriment to the church. Why? We are called to maturity. We are called to building up, not tearing down. We're forgetting the things that are behind. We're suppressed on. We're to set our eyes on Jesus. We're not to be entangled with these things. I could go on and on and on. But why does Fred need to come to somebody he's offended? So that they both mature. You see it? That's the goal of it. It's maturity. Because maturity brings about the healing. And that's the restoration the body needs. So many times we neglect those kind of things. And we go on our way and we focus on the wrong things. See, focus on sin will never be beneficial for you. D.L. Moody says, when you're looking at the wound of sin, you will never save anyone. What you have to do is look at the remedy. So here's my point, and I know what time it is. It's getting close, but listen. If you've sinned against one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, and the possibility there, because we're, we're like that, but in this context, go to your brother or sister and say the same thing. That's confession. Come to that point where you've talked and you agree. This has been wrong. This is not should have happened. I think there's ample scripture references to state all that. But the act is the act that opens the dialogue, you see? And that leads you to pray for one another, right? Because what is our goal? Maturity. Faith. Stronger faith. Your brother needs it, doesn't he? Your sister needs it, doesn't she? Isn't that our goal? That should be. That's what we're aiming for. So that you may be healed, verse 16 says. So that you may be healed. That's made whole. Which is the goal of Christ working you in the first place. That's why He uses the body of Christ to help you in the first place. Because we're all supposed to resemble Him. In essence, I don't think James is talking about healing from the flu. I don't think he's talking about just physical things as much as he is addressing immaturity. Lack of faith. Sin. Harmful things that we do to one another that hurts the body of Christ. Our need is to be made whole. And we who are maturing and we who are stronger have a responsibility for Fred. You say, I don't know about that. Start with Galatians. Right to the end chapter. And start right down through it and see whether or not you have responsibility as a stronger brother in Christ. My brethren, he says in verse 19, If anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, who is that one supposed to be? Us. Let him know that he has turned a sinner from his error of his way saved his soul from death, and covered a multitude of sins. I've read so many things to you this morning and gave you so much information. I'm just going to read to you a passage of Scripture. Listen carefully. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. It starts in verse 1, and I'm just going to keep going to verse 16. You ready? Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility... And gentleness with patience. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. And there is one spirit. Just as you've also been called the one hope of your calling. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism, there is one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. And but to each one of us is given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And you say, well, okay, that was a rabbit trail a bit. What's it mean? He is to fill all things. He is to fill all things. Jesus Christ is to fill all things. So he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Folks, that's where we need to go. And every part of us is ministering in that with each other to see that we all make it. You see, that's our job to one another. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is ahead, even Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That is a huge paragraph to say, that's what we're to be doing. That's what we're to be doing. And if one part hurts another part because of immaturity, go and talk to them. Confess that. That that might be healed. So the body could keep growing. You see it? So it could grow and grow and grow. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Because the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now you've got to let that settle for a while, don't you? Wow, is that a lot? But I think as, as I've been looking over this passage, I wanted to be careful with it. I think that's where it's gone with it. I think that's where James is leading to. We've got a brother who needs help. <laughs> Let's help him. He might hurt you. You ever been bit by the dog you're trying to feed? He might hurt you. That needs to be dealt with too. We need to see that brother mature. We want him to mature, don't we? Yes, we do. Because that's what we're called to do. Heavenly Father, we got a lot here. And it gets rather personal because it gets down to people we know. People who have been hurt by us. People who have hurt us. And your word is not quiet about those points though we would prefer at times not to hear them and we would seek to run the other way at times and in our pride sometimes we're afraid to confess. Sometimes we're afraid of others too. But Lord, this is not about us. It's about you. And the maturing work that you're doing in our midst that we might be like Christ. There's so many things that we would say we're not like Him. But that's the point of what we're studying here, that we might be like Him and grow in all aspects of maturity in Him. So, Lord, may our words be true. May they be clear. May they be expressed as brothers and sisters who love one another in the name of the Lord, who build each other up, who seek the best and the greatest in each one of us, that we may all be like Christ, Live like Christ. Talk like Christ. Think like Christ. Boy, there's so much here. Help us, we pray, Lord, for you see us and you're the faithful God we ask. Knowing that this is your work in our lives, it's your ambition, it's your plan, it's your purpose. May it be seen by us and may it be embraced by us. May it be lived by us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.